0: This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's
1: your host, tech girl, Miriam Jouar.
0: Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar and today is Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. And I have the awesome, the magical, Rene Ritchie here with me. Hi, Renee. How are you?
1: Hey, Miriam. I'm wearing my Swift uh, T-shirt just for you. I know people can't see it, but I wore it because I wanted to feel a little bit more like a coder.
0: Well, my folks on Patreon can see it. So, you know, there there you go, folks. You got to join Patreon and get the video version of the podcast. I like it. It looks really good on you. Thank you. So, Apple... Launched all their stuff last week. I covered it with Shannon Morse. Nice. And we had a a good time talking about it, but it was all very theoretical. Now I have somebody here on the show that has played with all four iPhone 13s and the iPad mini. And I don't have them, but I've read all the reviews. I've watched your videos. And so I figured we can spend a little bit of time speaking to an expert, an Apple expert about what they think. And I know that you have your... Fingers in the rest of the tech ecosystem and I'd love to kind of get your analysis perspective as to where you think this fits in this year because you know you know what Android land is doing you know what the universe is happening out there you're not just looking at Apple but you know Apple super well and you've played with these phones so that's kind of I think what I want to get out of this for my audience. I also want to point out that I have an iPhone 11, regular, like the, the product red, 64 gigs. I should have probably bought the 128. That was stupid. But at the same time, I make 10-minute videos at 1080p, so whatever. And I bought it for video, right? So I'm thinking of upgrading to a 13, but I'm leaning towards the Pro this year because it's got the best yeah. cameras. I feel like it's finally got the best cameras that really hit all the things I needed, like For me the telephoto being 3x is a requirement because 2x today with today's sensors you can get really good 2x with just a main sensor especially the multi-megapixel sensors which i guess the iphone doesn't have but then the other thing that's critical to me is that macro the the ability for the ultra wide to do autofocus but i think the way they implemented that needs some work so tell me what your thoughts are on the camera systems on both the 13 and the pro
1: So I'd love to, I'd love to hear your thoughts too, because I am very divided on just the telephoto itself. Because the original iPhone telephoto was 52 millimeter equivalent. On the iPhone 12 Pro Max, it went to 65 millimeter equivalent. Now it's 77 millimeter equivalent. And I do, I love 3X, but at the same time, that's very close to an 85, which is really nice. But the 50 has such a place in my heart. And it, it there, and it's not just the zoom level; it's the differences in framing and compression, and just the look that you get with these lenses. And I like it's not Nokia; they're not going to put eighteen lenses on the back of the camera. They have to be. They have to pick and choose. And I'm just not sure how I feel about the loss of a fifty to gain a seventy-seven or fifty-two to gain a seventy-seven.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. For portraits, I think the two X was perfect, but I feel like for what most people want to do with a telephoto, three X is the sweet spot. The three X. Is I feel more versatile. However, you're right. We lost that perfect portrait zoom, right? Yeah. On Android land, that's a non-issue because what you do at that point is you take that 108 or 64, 48 megapixel sensor and you do a 2x zoom where you use like some special magical computational sauce to you know still get the benefits of the pixels you you know you're processing to get a really clear you know portrait equivalent shot. And potentially with some bouquet if you want to. Although those large sensors on Android now are so bouquet happy by default. Yes. Like F of 1.5. That's another thing we have to talk about. F-stop on this Pro. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. And pixel size.
0: Yeah. Ah, 1.9 microns. Wow.
1: Like, I know.
0: So Not this is fault. kind of where I actually did do wish it had gone.
1: HTC must be so salty now.
0: Yeah, right? <laughs> I wish it had gone to a 48 megapixel, two pixel bin at this point. Yes. Because I feel like that would give us that benefit of it when you would punch into 2X, you get that portrait without, you know, and have more pixels to play with for the computational yes. stuff. And so I think that's where they should be going next. And I think that's where Pixel 6 is going this year um, because it looks like it's going to have, a, at least the Pro, a 3X telephoto. Yeah. And I think, you know, I currently have this interesting Vivo phone. It's actually, it's their sub-brand IQ or EQ, I-Q-O-O. And it's a BMW branded phone of all things. But what's interesting <laughs> about it is that it has a dedicated portrait camera. So it has nice. the ultra wide and it has like a high megapixel count main with the YS. And then it has a 2X portrait and it literally is just for that. And it's totally great. It does a fantastic job for portraits, but I feel like an Android will that makes sense, but Apple's not gonna proliferate lenses just no. for a portrait
1: you know but it means they're not going to do a two megapixel macro either oh, so, God. Like, it's, <laughs> These are
0: so bad no don't even go there i mean the even the five megapixel autofocus macros that some android flagships have like the xiaomi ones are still not that great like i like how samsung's doing it samsung's basically telling you in the coaching on the screen move back punch into yes. 2x yes Get your yeah. macro shot. And it does work. It's like because the bouquet is so creamy on that 108 megapixel sensor of theirs that when you pull back 2x and you crop, you have still enough pixels and you end up with a really nice macro shot. So, but then Apple is doing what OnePlus or so BBK Group is doing on a lot of their phones, which is put an autofocus on the ultra wide, call yes. it a day. My issue here is that it's not a setting. It's not like, you know, you should be able to go portray macro. And then you're in that mode, you know you're in that mode, nothing changes. The fact that it auto-switches right now and doesn't give you that control unless you're in video, because I know there's a setting to turn it off in video, is, and I think, you know, who was it at input? It was
1: Ray Wong. He ruined it for me. Yeah, Ray. I liked it. I liked it and Ray ruined it for me.
0: But he's right. He's right. If you've ever used an Android phone with a macro on the ultra-wide, it's like, you want to be able to have a separate mode for that camera.
1: I get that. So with me, it's like, I, I thought it was a pleasant surprise. I was out shooting and I got in close and I was like, how do I engage? Oh, it, it just already happened. It knew I was within two centimeters. So or I think it's more than that. I think it's like five centimeters. It engages and then I could macro. And I've always looked at Apple's camera system as like this mainstream camera system where the actual separate cameras are an implementation detail. And they just want like, cause they've always switched between wide angle and tele, like from telephoto to wide angle when it was low light because they just, they couldn't get enough data off of the telephoto. So they would go to the wide angle and and, and crop in and it it would just handle it. It was like, this is a bunch of implementation details. Don't you worry about it. And I know it drives professional photographers nuts, but that's why there's like Halide or that's why there's like Filmic Pro. I think for most people just going in close and not having to, because there's so many modes now. There's like Pano and Portrait and Cinematic is new this year uh, and Time Lapse. I think for like a lot of people, it's like too many buttons.
0: But I think the solution that some folks talked about in their review, just if you could tap 1x or 0.5x and it would go back to the lens you want. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't have to be a new setting. It could be like in the setting settings where you turn it off. But I think that's counterproductive. I think it's smart for it to auto switch because most people want that. But I think that you need to be override it. You need to be able to say, no, I meant to have this blurry because I'm trying to catch the background and... I want this to be slightly out of focus in the front. And yes, I know I'm close, I know I'm in macro range, but bug off, you know?
1: The one that kills me still is, it's two years into Dolby Vision on an iPhone, and I can choose between 60, 30, and 24 frames per second. I can choose between 1080p and 4K, but there's nothing for HDR. And because the phone is HDR, you can't tell when you're in HDR or SDR mode. And it captures both tone maps, but there's no setting to say which tone map to take off. You have to like, It'll do it for you if it detects an old iPad that can't do HDR, but otherwise you're left with an... It's fine for me. I'll throw it in Final Cut Pro and I'll figure it out. But I know a bunch of people record HDR when they have no way of actually handling HDR. Right, yeah. And it's just one extra button.
0: Like, I think there are some UI implementation issues in the current Apple camera that need to be changed. Like, I think that little down arrow thing is not the best way to go. Like, I hate to say this, but some of the Chinese Android phones have it really well done where the HDR on the top with all the settings are is a toggle you can tap on it and it gives you a choice between on off and auto but then if you're actually just holding the phone and moving it around the hdr lights up when hdr is on so you know i'm saying like like it tells you to have that for
1: photos like
0: (laughs) yeah i'm about to take an hdr photo or i'm about to take an hdr video and then you can go oh no that's not what i want tap on that exact little icon and then you can change it to off and you go like okay we're done
1: Yeah, you've convinced me. Like it should be not, anytime it's destructive, it's bad. Like if there is a potential for a destructive action, like losing the subject you wanna focus on or recording the wrong pro, like pulling off 10 bit HDR is not comfortable over lightning. I just wanna, I I recorded my entire A-roll for my iPhone review in cinematic mode. And that's not even, like we haven't even gotten to 10 bit ProRes yet, which is three gigabits per, three gigabytes per minute. I didn't wanna, over lightning. Okay. I want Thunderbolt on my phone so badly. Can we have an entire
0: podcast about how lightning goes needs to go away, whether people are happy or not with it, at least on the pro phone? But I don't
1: even want USB-C anymore. If you put ProRes 422 on a phone, you need to give me Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt,
0: yeah, no, for sure. But I think, look, I think as an intermediate step, I feel like Apple needs to either go portless yeah. and give us some technology to transfer things really rapidly. You know, I don't know what they would do there, but uh, maybe that's the way they're going. Maybe they're going to go... USB C with Thunderbolt on the pro iPhones in yes. the future. And then they're going to go portless on the, the non pro and call it a day. Because I, I really don't know. Like I it's I'm just I'm just so annoyed with it. Like I really thought that this year is gonna when I saw the iPad MIDI had it type C, I was like, okay, the iPhone's gonna know. And I'm just like, seriously, like, I get it. Like, there's a huge ecosystem. And Lightning is a really robust connector. It is fantastic. And people get
1: so angry. Like, they switched from USB-A to USB-C on the back end because they figured finally time was right. And there are so many people who are angry because their PC or their car has USB-A. And now Apple's screwing them by going to USB-C on the back end. And I feel for all of you, like everyone's at a different stage of technological advancement, different rates of adaption. And it's, it, when you're selling a bil- like a, when you have a billion phones on the market and you're selling 100 million a year, you have large scale problems, but you've also had that's your job to solve them.
0: But at the same time, let's be real USB C, at least that connector, which is also Thunderbolt is the way to go it's yep. where we're all going i live in entire universe of usb c all the time because my phones are android phones and my Macs are are Macs and and your nintendo
1: switch is usb c i live
0: the life i live the dream i got pd on all the things yes i'm not charging <laughs> my bbk phone as fast as i could because it has 65 watt charging but you know <laughs> what At 33 watt or whatever it does on PD35, 40, 45, whatever it is it supports, I plug my MacBook charger into my phone and it charges fine. And my, and you know, in this case, it's a OnePlus charger. The OnePlus dedicated 65 watt charger is also a PD up to 45. And so I plug that into my MacBook Air M1 and guess what? It works like a charm. I mean, it's not as fast as the dedicated 65 watt charger my Mac came with, but it still charges it. And it's just magical. It's like I show this to my iPhone using friends and they're like
1: I have a I have a nightmare scenario though. I have a nightmare scenario that next year the USB Forum is going to announce USB-C Micro with Apple as their first adopter and the iPhones are going oh, to come out with USB-C what a nightmare. Micro no, and the please. the adapter is going to be 45 bucks.
0: Oh, don't go there. Don't even <laughs> give them that idea. Oh god. Renee, you just jinxed it for all of us.
1: Well, but you remember there was USB, USB B, yeah, USB I A, U, micro, mini, B type. I mean, look, I think there is
0: something to be said that Lightning is a more robust mechanically connector than USB Type C, no, no matter how you cut it. But I still feel like the USB forum is very much intent on keeping this thing going yeah. for forever. Now, the fact that they've put they've put Thunderbolt on top of it, they've got USB four now and yes. you know it, it combines the two technically and it's the same connector the fact that we now support over 100 watt charging over that connector safely like i just got a phone in uh, the xiaomi 11t pro 120 watt charging zero to 117 minutes i tried it
1: is that parallel cells
0: it's parallel cells, a lot of, okay. of phone. Anything you see over 50 watt in Android land has been parallel cells. But this okay. is parallel cells at six amp, to 20 volts. Okay. Yeah. And it's insane. Now they have a proprietary charger and a proprietary cable in the sense that the thickness of the cable and there's yeah. some kind of handshaking. Do I have the right cable? Do I have the right brick? Do I have the right phone? Right? Like some sort of, yeah. this guy, like it detects the cable and it detects the, but it's in the brick. Like it's, you remember the MacBook Pro brick before uh, we went to USB-C, you remember that size? That's roughly the size of the brick. It's ridiculous. So that's, that's stupid, but it's also for some people, I think it's what makes it or breaks it is that they go take a shower in the morning, they plug their phone in 10 minutes later, whatever they used the day before is back. Right. So I don't know. I don't know what how do you feel about the fact that the iPhone 13 only charges at what is it now 20 watts?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, like I try to separate what I care about to what I think like my family would care about. I use them as a stand-in for the massive mainstream audience that Apple has to carry with them all this doesn't have to but you know they've they've got a massive mainstream audience. So I want those things. I, like, I take everybody's word for it that these batteries are gonna be okay in three, four years. Like I take Xiaomi and OnePlus and everybody's word for it that in three, four years, these batteries are still gonna be okay. Cause I still, you know, I have that Ajita, that, that anxiety over batteries being charged at high states. And I know they're heat managing and I know they're moving everything outside the battery system. I know they're doing all these things. So, but I think there's a happy middle ground. There's a happy middle ground where we could have USB-C, we could have Thunderbolt or Thunderbolt 4 on the pros. And we could have a sliding scale of chargers that this is the one that comes with it, but for you maniacs out there, if you want to charge at 100 watts, here's your here's your adapter. Yeah,
0: I don't even think 100 watts the answer. I feel that the default should be 33. They're, having used all of these charging speeds and still currently using mostly something in the 30s, I think that 33 watts, 30-ish watts is gives you enough speed to get you covered in case you have an emergency. Like, I need to leave now or 10 minutes from now. How much can I recoup in 10 minutes? Yeah. You're going to get enough with 33 watt but 20 is too slow and anything over 33 is overkill yeah, like 50 65 yeah and, you're showing off at that point and then there's 120 now it, it's just you don't need it you just don't need it trust me so i don't think apple should go extreme i just feel like in the same way as samsung is disappointing us by only supporting what is a 25 watt or something We need, I think we need Apple to be able to, as you said, with a, you choose your charger. Now there's no charger in the box. So make, make a phone that at least supports 33 or, you know, something USB CPD compliant. That way you can make those people happy. And then You know, wireless charging is absolutely necessary. I'm so annoyed that so many Android phones and the high end still don't have wireless charging when even the iPhone SE has it, you know what I'm saying? It's like, come on, it's not that big of a deal. And yes, it's only 10 watt or 15 watt or whatever, but it's just, it's just for those of us who have, you know, especially in cars nowadays, they all have Qi wireless charging pads. And that's you know, good for the battery. You're not hurting the battery. You're just kind of maintaining the state of charge while you're driving around using nav. That's really all yes. you're doing. And that's yeah. exactly what that is for. And if you have wireless Android auto or CarPlay, well, guess what? You don't have to plug anything. You're just like yeah. get in your car, put it down on the mat and it's a future magically everything it. just works. And, and I think that, you know, I know we're digressing away from the 13 here, but I think these are some <laughs> of the issues that this 13 launch brought up for me. It's like, okay, I think they nailed the cameras with the pro. I think it's superb what they're doing. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the the cinema mode, but yeah, I think that the 13 needs to be mentioned as well because I feel like they've improved the f stop and the sensor, and of course it's got you know the the what's it called the in body stabilization, right? And it's across the board now, yeah. And we, as we've seen for some from the test videos, it's very very good at uh, doing stabilization combined with, of course, electronic stabilization, right? Yes. So, what do you think? Like, is this the way all the iPhones are going? Are we are we gonna see more of the features from the Pro trickle down to the 14 next year? Non Pro, can we please get Pro RAW on the 13?
1: Yeah, I think you know, I think just the way their marketing works is they they want a differentiation between them. They want to be able to offer something that's less expensive, but they also want to be able to differentiate what's more expensive, and then they use the the, the greater space in the bill of materials with the higher end models to pay down the new technologies and then they push them down. So whenever you get something new, you, you know like whenever you get some new technology, they can push the old technologies further down. Like every iPad has a pencil now basically because the other right. iPads have ProMotion or mini LED or all these different technologies that make them separate. So I think Apple's just starting um, using the iPhone's Pro now to appeal more to photographers, to appeal more to people. Next year, apparently the big screen size differentiation is gonna go away and we're not gonna have a mini. We're gonna have two regular sizes and two large sizes. So they're gonna juggle those things depending on demand. But I think they really wanna push all their investment into the pro models. Uh, And especially with the, like there's an extra GPU there to handle it. In the A15, they've got completely new pipelines for all the video and technologies because, I think some people forget this too, but once you start pulling ProRes off a sensor, you've got to be able to record that to drive (laughs) without dropping frames. And it's got to move through that entire system. I think
0: it's such overkill. Like, I think they don't need that. Like,
1: I honestly feel- Alex Lindsay is drooling so, so much.
0: I mean, don't get me wrong. The iPhone is a video beast always. And the 13 Pro is even going to be more of a video beast. But I feel like ProRes is just one step too far. I don't know. Like, I feel you can get some really good video without ProRes. I I still see, like, I watch the videos, like, when Dieter did his review, like, without the cinema mode enabled like, just regular shooting in low light, you can already tell there's not enough, there's not enough quality out of the sensor and lens, even with all the improvements they've made, to justify even ProRes encoding at this point in low light. Now, in daytime, that's arguably yes. Yes. But I feel like ProRAW is just a pure software feature that's been on previous processors Why can't we get that on? That's just a limitation that's completely artificial, right? On the 13.
1: Well, it's those two things. They are using the extra GPU to to handle part of the processing. They have those dedicated encoder chips for ProRes on the CPU as well. But it's also just like even on the iPhone Pro, the 128 gigabytes model will only do 1080p just because three gigs a minute, you're filling up so much storage space and there's a, a one terabyte model to handle it and you've got a slightly different camera system. But I think like to, exactly to your point, where people are excited is just the video nerds who they wanna be able to, like again, like an Alex Lindsay, who wants to be able to film a park and not just have uh, HEVC texture for where there are leaves, but have actual yeah. leaves where there are leaves.
0: No, and I get that. I'm not I'm talking more about pro raw, like on stills. Oh, right? like the fact sorry, that it doesn't yeah, like exist on yeah. the thirteen is vexing me. It's like it's just a yes. feature. Like I yes, thought absolutely. for sure last year I was like, okay, maybe the you know the A fourteen can only handle it or whatever with this particular sensor. But this year you're like, okay, you got an extra, you know, an extra chip here, 10% of performance improvement or whatever it is. We know they focused on battery life and that was critical, and I'm glad they did. But at the same time, it's much more oomph. The benchmarks are showing it, even on the quiet Core, not the pentacore gpu of the basic 13 so i'm like okay why don't we get pro raw like come on like this is like such an artificial division you gave you know you 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 improved the main camera significantly on the 13 the ultra wide slightly and then on the pros of course you like i can't believe the f-stop on the ultra wide is 1.8 that that blows my freaking mind like I mean, wow, and um, and but my my point is they're doing all these hardware improvements, and we know they're going to trickle down. But then there's a simple software thing yeah. that's probably already in code sitting there in the US, well, and they're just, just turning off, right? it off. <laughs> it's like, come on. Like, yeah,
1: I think this is where like consumer Renee is super angry, and marketing Renee goes, <laughs> uh, they're just differentiating based on one's a photography camera and one's not. You know, one's a normal person camera and one's a photographer camera.
0: I do like the fact that they're really trying to market the Pro in a different way now, like that the Pro is no longer the high-end iPhone, it's the phone for professionals uh, or whatever that means. But I think that I like that. I kind of like that they did that with the iPad too. And I think that matters, that makes a difference because the reality is, look, it's only a matter of time till the iPhone 13, while the base iPhones get a telephoto at
1: the third lens.
0: It's going to happen. People want it so, and this is this not a pro feature? The pros
1: will get Periscope, and then the telephoto will go to the normal. Exactly, ones.
0: <laughs> and the pros will just get better hardware versions of that. Like yes. you know what I'm saying? Like in the same way as we're seeing here. But I'm looking at this camera system today on the pro, and I'm thinking if they had a multi-megapixel main sensor versus yes. that amazing that would be the that would be the sense that would be the the hardware like that would be it like the f-stops are amazing the pixel sizes are amazing the technology for optical or for stabilization like physical mechanical stabilization is amazing the lens types like six elements seven elements all chosen right they have autofocus and all the right like it nails it like last year i could say like i don't want a pro max because it's too big this year you can just say i'm gonna buy the 13 pro and get all the special sauce like that i have to give apple some serious kudos for making that happen you know
1: yes yeah fitting again like i talk about wanting a thunderbolt port in there but i don't have to fit a thunderbolt controller so this all this whole discussion is just things (laughs) that we want without being in charge of shipping it so we also understand that (laughs)
0: look here's an idea renee how about an m1 iphone right like come on let's go all the (sighs) way out
1: right but I mean, like it just it wouldn't be useful in there. There's just like the, the thermal envelope, which would not be useful. It has
0: there. a Thunderbolt controller. Like that's why the M1 is on the iPad Pro, right?
1: Yes. There you go. That's
0: that's your Thunderbolt yeah. controller.
1: Yeah, uh, and 16 gigs of RAM. I mean, I know. I'm. Just but it'd saying. be a much bigger. Yeah. Uh, my you understanding is saying, the thermal right? envelope would not be happy with an M1 or an M2.
0: Well, it wouldn't be called an M1 at this point. It'd be called like something else, but it'd be a derivative yeah, of
1: the M series, yeah. scaled
0: down instead of going up go down from where well that's what are. they
1: did so like architecturally a14 is exactly the same as m1 just m1 has the extra cores and the right. mac specific ip and m and a15 is going to be m2 so they're just going to add more efficiency and more performance right. cores to it stick it in a macbook air and call it a day do
0: you think we're going to get an m1x that yeah. m1x yeah yeah okay. I-,
1: I think so i think i think one of the things we saw with their silicon team now is that they, they still have the scalable one of the biggest uh, nervous points I had was that as Apple grows, they're going to have the same problems as a as a merchant silicon vendor has, as a Qualcomm has, because they have so many clients. You have to balance the needs of like Microsoft wants DirectX support, uh, you know, Android wants OpenGL support. We've got to carry all this stuff for them. And Apple would be like, oh, the the app, they'd be like, Apple Watch would be a client, iPhone would be a client, iPad would be a client, and they'd have different needs. But I think the scalable system architecture solved a lot of that really elegantly. Like you have like one A13 core in the Apple Watch now, you have a few A14 and A15 cores in the phones, you have much more of them in the iPads and in the Macs, then you have much, much more of them in the Pro Max. And it's not perfect. It's not like a bespoke chip for every computer, but you get such efficiency of scale off the architecture that way. So 100%. I think for sure, we're gonna, we're gonna see that just scale up to the M1X. It'll be like, I, I don't know, eight, eight time, eight and 16. 16 and 32, Yeah, how can they go?
0: Absolutely. And I think Apple has nailed it on the silicone side. There's no doubt about that. So to me, like the cameras are great. The only thing that I said is the macro on and off functionality yes. would be nice to override. And then the, cine, the cinema mode, whatever the, I know it's not portrait mode for video, but just let's simplify just for, you know, so we can talk about it. What's the, what's actually called exactly cinematic? Cinematic mode. Cinematic mode. So cinematic mode is really interesting to me. Uh, I'm sure you've seen what John Morrison did to that video yeah. he shot. It's good, but I can still see it to me. And yes, I'm not saying like, I'm not pixel peeping. I'm just like, I, having seen quote unquote portrait videos on Android phone, it's way better. But it's still like, especially if you don't have enough light, it just falls apart so yeah. quickly. I mean, Joanna showed that in her music video she shot. But she also picked, like, why do you pick this lighting? Like, that's almost <laughs> setting it up for failure. Like, I, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I feel like it's very on Apple to release this so unbaked, in my opinion. I think that that should be an iPhone 14 feature. Once they've had it in the lab for a few more months with a little bit more, you know, cooking and stirring in the pot. Yeah,
1: no, I don't disagree. I think they did it very much like portrait mode on the iPhone 7. They wanted to get it out there and get much more real world data so they could start getting it to behave better. Because like they also, they suffer from Cupertino syndrome where their data sets are so <laughs> small because everything's being tested so secretly. Cupertino that they, syndrome, they just, I love they it. They just don't have enough. And, like, and there's nothing beats getting a bunch of real world examples out there yeah. for them to work on. There's two things I really like about it. One is just like the nerdy geeky side of me loves that. They don't say it's portrait mode because they're not just doing a depth blur on no, a frame. No, d- for sure. They're looking yeah, yeah. backwards and forwards through time on it because they all capture every phone captures a few. Like it works a little bit in the future so that it can better set the present. And they're looking at nearest neighbor frames so they can provide a consistent bokeh and the bokeh is not jumping around and leaping between frames, which would be super annoying. So they're they're pulling in a ton of data and they're creating this depth map. And that they're leaving it editable is so enjoyable. That for is me.
0: amazing. That's that's the part that's got me really excited about the future. It's like okay, it's not baked. Give it us to us next year better. But the fact that you can go in and just use the phone's photo app to do this yes. is kind of unreal to me.
1: And it's teaching so, the language. Like The thing I love most is it's teaching the language of, of cinema because like, they're not just doing depth, but their, their, a, their ML is doing it based on eyeline. So if you're looking or turning away, it tries to track where the gaze should go next, like the the, the rack focus should go next. And it's yeah. nowhere nearly perfect, but there's so many people, like that, that was usually a nerdy thing. Like if you were into cinema, cinematography, that wasn't like a normal pastime, but now yeah. everyone with this phone is gonna be able to understand what it's doing, learn, do it, get frustrated, do it better, explore. And they will be so many TikToks and Instagrams with like the rack focus trend. They're, the, the, and they're like native. Like when you look at how people edit on TikTok already, it blows my mind, like camera on camera, off camera. Like it's an incredible new language. And I just wanna see that continue to evolve.
0: Yeah, I think it's opening all kinds of creative options which are didn't just didn't exist and I think that yeah. maybe that's also why they put it out not just to get that that feedback that data right to make it better faster because they need the data points but also to just kind of see what our creators are going to do with it, you know, and you know, maybe let's put the quality a little bit in the back seat, just to see where we can take it. Because we know the quality we can crank up as yeah. we throw more cores, as we throw more CPU and, and GPU at it in the future, which is inevitable, as we know. So um, before we jump into iPad mini, uh, I want to quickly talk about the Pro motion displays on yeah. the 13 Pro. I'm a bit bummed the 13 didn't get at least 90 hertz or something, but I at the same time, you know, it would have made more sense to have everything across the border at 120 from a parts bin perspective. So maybe the displays are capable of it and they just chose not to do it. I don't know. The bottom line is finally we have variable, which is a critical thing here. A lot of people don't understand that. It's a battery life saver to have yeah. variable refresh rate. And I've been saying that forever. And that's why I was bummed they didn't have. Uh, you know 120 hertz support last year with the 12s because now we have it and finally but it also makes it a bit weird to me that they just only picked it on the pro this could have benefited so the 13 as well
1: my guess my well my, my understanding is that they're using the same panels as the galaxy note and the current galaxy s21 um yeah. and samsung just, the just could LTPO not produce ones enough. yeah yes and they just couldn't produce enough last year because Apple sells so many of the phones. Like compared to other vendors, they only make right. a few phones, and they sell. You know, I think their orders for ninety million at this point, and there's just there's not wow. enough LTPO panel supply yet. Uh, so they had to they had to give it to the pro models, and I'm, and they can also absorb the costs better uh, in the pro models because the pricing is so is yeah. So different. This this
0: this smells like me like you know COVID supply issue related at this point purely you know, and that's a fair compromise at that point. Yeah.
1: Well, their supply, yeah. was, my understanding is like last year, their supply of LTPO OLED was just almost non-existent. Like they could they could satisfy Galaxy S, which didn't sell that many this year. And I think it was OnePlus got some as well, but there was just not. Yeah,
0: a BBK group got a bunch and, and uh, Xiaomi got like, I think the very highest end Xiaomi phones, like the Mi 11 Ultra. And, and goddamn, these displays are amazing. Like, yeah. I mean, 1800 nits peak on some of them.
1: Like, yeah, Apple's not going that high because their very life was a big focus this year. They're sticking to 1200, but they're still... But like
0: when you're in the middle of the California summer sun yes. and you have your sunglasses on and you have to lower the brightness on the display, you yes. know you've, re- you've reached like a new dimension of what you can be done with, a, with an OLED, you
1: know? It's the crazy. thing that I like that's even more interesting than because they've had this on the iPad with LCD displays for a while. It's in 2017. Uh, the promotion effect uh, and the Apple Watch the other way, that goes from zero to 60 for always on display. And that's OLED, but that's RGB stripe OLED. I think that's LG OLED still. But this right. one, they made a whole new display controller, but they also made an always on touch controller that all its, it's only job is to, is to feel your finger on the screen and how fast your finger is going and adjust the display at the at the exact real time for your finger. So as you're scrolling, it goes up, as you stop scrolling, it goes down. And they're, they're reclaiming so much battery life that I know the mixed statistics are the same, like the iPhone 12 gets 1.5 hours and the iPhone, sorry, the iPhone 12 Pro gets one and a half hours more battery. The iPhone 12 gets two and a half. But when you look at hardware-optimized things, like encoder blocks, when you're just watching streaming oh, video, HEVC, unbelievable. it's five to nine hours more battery life.
0: I think the, the specs on the iPhone, if people tested this on the iPhone 13 Pro Max, we're now getting double the video yeah. playback time. And I believe it. I don't, I don't think anybody's exaggerating here. This is No, they're very good. You know, having experienced this in Android land, yes, it's real. But you really need to have that variable rate and you need to do it right, as you said. And, you know, increasing the touch sampling frequency as well is a thing. I don't think Apple technically discussed it, but that's what Android has been doing to get that, you know that oh we ramp up the and to wait for it to feel right you know you need like 480 hertz or more you know a touch sampling so you can go like i know exactly where like i can extrapolate exactly where that finger is going also you can look at the display content with ai and decide what's the most likely trajectory that finger is going to take like it's kind of insane to me that machine learning is becoming a thing in every aspect. Like, like can you believe that you're, it's tracking your finger? Like,
1: wow. Well, for years, I mean, like Apple never, like one of the things that, that I laughed at, well, people like us would laugh at, but like for years people were saying Apple doesn't know anything about AI. And at the same time, they were literally building it into the chip that would support face ID. But also like for five years it's, or six years, it's been in the battery system, figuring out what apps you're gonna use and loading and like jetsamming and, and reloading them depending on your behavior so it doesn't tax the battery. Like all the, a lot of the battery gains they get is off ML. It's not off, you know, always bigger batteries. But the thing that I was happiest about is it is so easy to do high frame rate wrong as the Hobbit movies proved to us many, many years ago. Um, like a lot of the phones, at least the ones I tested and I don't have a lot of experience. I was just like, I was like the third helper at Android central when I needed to be, but like some of them, when the brightness changed, they would ramp down the panel because they couldn't handle brightness changes. Some of them, when the, when the, when it went up, they would lose color management. Like the color management would just go yeah. out the window as soon as the panel changed or you would change resolution. Thankfully,
0: that's all behind us, Renee.
1: Yeah, but th- I think those are the things when, when yeah. there's a good implementation you've got to appreciate because I can't tell. Like i spent... I don't wanna tell you how long I spent just like going back and forth and moving at games. And I cannot tell when it is switching and I can't see yeah. any lag when it's accelerating or decelerating. And they've, they're famously, they have like, they can do P3 color, but they can also do P3 next to sRGB color. They can do all these things. They have very good color management. That's exactly the same. They didn't lose any of that by going to HDR or by going to higher refresh. Uh, yeah, no. I'm, and
0: that's, I think, part of the reason it took so long for Apple to deliver this. I mean, they weren't going to deliver a fixed 120 refresh rate. That's not yeah. going to happen. That's completely a waste of battery. And I get that. And I'm so I'm glad they're doing it right. I think they could have done it last year because, you know, we've we've had all these issues solved in Android land for about a year since the S20 series.
1: They wanted it for last year. They just couldn't get the panels.
0: Yeah, it was the Note 20 that really did it. And it, oh my God, it's such a great yeah. phone back in its day. Uh, I know it's only a year old, folks, but, uh, you know, we've moved quite a bit past that already. So
1: Well, I think that's the one thing that I think people don't appreciate is that sometimes you can get a- access to advanced technologies when you make fewer units. And that's, that's yes. famously like Amazon got TFT for their, for their tablets first because they just didn't need a lot of it. So a lot of yeah. times, like, the fewer you make, the more advanced the technology you can get because it's available at your volume. Well,
0: and with Samsung, it's their own panel. So they're like, yes. you know, we're, we're just going to make our own panel.
1: Screw you all, right? Like, oh, Well, but it's a conglomerate. So they might say, I want to see how much everyone's offering us.
0: Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> so iPad mini really quickly, because I want to also cover yeah. the Microsoft news this week. Look, I'm impressed. I mean, I love the iPad Air design and this is a yeah. scaled down iPad Air. The fact that they switched to Type-C USB and the fact that we have, you know, the fingerprint sensor and the power lock button and the volume rockers on the top, which actually makes sense because the way you hold the iPad. There you go. Renee's is showing it to us on video right now. Yeah,
1: it's so cute.
0: It's very adorable. I'm wondering, I know you love it and I know a lot of people love it, their iPad minis. I'm just wondering how big is the actual viewable area of that screen diagonally right now? 8.3. So that is quite a bit bigger than the biggest Android phones at 6.8. Because look, and it makes a huge difference. But and I'm just the wondering
1: and aspect ratio is perfect for paper. It's right. not too skinny. <laughs> but here's
0: the thing, Galaxy Z Fold 3. Yes. Like I know there's a whole software equation here, right? Like the iPad has an incredible software and app ecosystem that is cannot be replicated in Android land. I wouldn't even try. Tablet apps on Android suck. They're basically glorified phone apps and vice versa, right? If you have a Z Fold 3 right now and you open it up, you're not really getting very optimized software other than maybe Samsung's own, right? So, yeah. so I get all that. But past that, do you think we're going to get to a point where that iPad mini, whenever Apple can make a folding phone or whatever, is going to become obsolete? And of course there's a price difference 500 versus, you know, 1300 yeah. or whatever. But I think that when you're looking at buying an iPhone 13 Pro and an iPad Mini, now you're getting very close in territory to buying a Z Fold 3. So assuming for a second that Apple eventually gives us a folding phone, I think if they do, then with the iPad ecosystem being as amazing as it is and being such a great tablet experience, that would be to me the the, the way to go, right?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely and you I I love I know I know it's highly contentious, but I'm on the Michael Fisher side here. I love foldables. I think like humans like to fold things. We fold we we fold our our books. We fold our wallets. We fold our sandwiches like a taco. It's like we just we like to fold things. We're willing to compromise on depth, like to get rid of some of the surface area. And Apple's been working on foldable since the iPhone 4. Although well, they were hingeables, I think, with the iPhone 4. Yes, nice. I I mean I love it. It's so cool. It's so kirk to enterprise. I think there's there's. Right now, the iPad Mini is basically Apple's foldable that doesn't unfold again if you try to fold Correct. it. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Basically, <laughs> that's basically. <laughs> that's basically it. And there might always be a market for people for whom the resiliency of a non-foldable is better, like like you know the famous pilots analogy or doctors or people who just don't like they just don't need the feature of folding. They would rather have something simple that's less expensive that serves their, you know, I'm a cable guy on top of a tower somewhere. I don't yeah, know if yeah. Apple's gonna always fill that market, but there's there's gonna be a market for for small size tablets. I do hope we get to that foldable future though, uh, when they're like, when it's not a compromise anymore. And it's getting so close. Like, I think the Galaxy, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the Pixel fold, cause I like Pixel software better than Samsung yeah, software. Yeah, me too, yeah, for sure. Um, but I think we're getting to the point where it's it's, before it was like, okay, I'm getting it, but it's not water resistant. Now it is. I'm getting it, but I just want to make sure the screen doesn't crack. And like, it's, it's getting there. And, and when it gets to that point, I think for people like us, the foldable will be like, well, this is what we're going to get. And then for a bunch yeah. of people, it will be like, I just want a little candy bar phone. I'm fine.
0: I mean, I, I think the reality that I see with the iPad mini is that if you are a fan of smaller iPads right now, go buy one right now. Because here's the thing. You get a better screen you get USB type C, which uh, some people might not like, obviously, because they invested in their, you know, lightning ecosystem, but you get a new chip too. And and that means that, f- that iPads, for the way people are using their iPads and keeping them forever, right, is going to last, like, what is it, like five years or something yeah. at this point, yeah. probably? And so you're better off right now just g- going and getting one if you need yeah. a new iPad. You know, of course, you can buy an iPad Air, but technically, that doesn't have a, as good of a chip in it. So, you know, I think it's really interesting what they've done with this. Like, yeah. they've kind of really refocused the interest on the Mini in a radical way because it's, it's basically, the other than an M1 iPad Pro, it's the best equipped iPad there is right now. Yeah.
1: Although I think for you a know? lot of people, that won't make a huge difference. Like, it's just that's the chip for this year. And when you, whenever you right, buy they it, they want kill. you to have the latest chip so it lasts as long as possible. But yeah. if they'd done the Air and the Mini in the same year, like, they used to, they used to always do that. The Air and the Mini were in lockstep. But now they, they they did it this way, so I think that's just like a the, the thermal envelope is smaller enough that I think your perform you won't see a huge performance except for that extra GPU core. Like if you're really into gaming or video effects or things like that, like you'll you'll enjoy the extra GPU core.
0: Yeah, I think it's cool. I think this is a good segue to get into the uh, the surfaces because now there's a Surface Go about the same size, a new one, and a bunch of other Surface devices. So look, I have kind of caught up briefly on these Surface things. Mostly, I have focused on the Surface Duo 2, which is really interesting. Yeah. What is your take on the entire Surface event and what Microsoft's brought to the table? Looking at it from that, you know, I'm primarily an Apple guy perspective,
1: yeah, so I mean, well, part of me up front, like part of me is always going to mourn WebOS, and part of me is always going to mourn Windows Phone. So whenever I see Microsoft holding up an Android device, part of my little inner Bill Gates nerd is going to suffer for it, you know. So I just I'm <laughs> saying that up front because I can just imagine that running Windows Phone in a universe where Jez is much, you know, Jez Gordon is a much happier person. Yes. Yeah, you know that 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 that, that sort of a universe. I love it like and I love Panos because he, like he's such a character like it's not exactly Nicolas Cage doing tech demos but he's like he is so <laughs> different than the usual like he's not an apple type but he's also not a stuffy shirt you know you know business school grad type he's laid back he's got a different kind of like he's so fun to watch and I love that Microsoft thinks different like I think they have a huge challenge in that they like they could crush Windows OEMs if they wanted to. That's their direct yeah. competition. People aren't choosing a lot between, like it's a whole operas- operating system choice between a Mac and a PC. And a lot of people just want a PC and Microsoft like is a really compelling PC, but they could never, the same way Google can't advertise a pixel that way, Microsoft can never say, we're the best PC, forget Dell, forget HP. So they advertise against Apple and like it's just, it's, it's really apples to bananas. It's, like, it's a different comparison to me. For sure. So I just love that they're so, like they're really pushing that. And I don't want to call it innovation because that sounds so like trite, but they're really creative, like from the Surface Studio and now basically putting the Surface Studio on a laptop where you can pl- plug it up, plug it down. I know, let's
0: talk about that in a second. Yeah. So good. It's crazy. I love that. So I'm just going to go quickly through the device analysis, and I want to focus specifically on the Duo 2 and the laptop studio. So there is a Surface Duo 2, which is an updated version of their Android phone that folds in half. Yes. But it's not a folding phone because it doesn't have a folding screen. But It's it's a hingeable. It's a hingeable. Thank you. I like that. Surface Pro 8, the only thing I'll say about this is it's an improvement all around. Mostly important thing to me is the 120Hz display. Uh, Surface Pro X, uh, again... I'm not sure what it's getting in terms of spec improvement, but it's going to start supporting 64-bit Intel apps with emulation coming up soon with uh, Windows 11. Surface Go 3, again, all around improvement, nothing too special here, but the Laptop Studio is this weird yes. laptop, especially with that weird pedestal that's sitting on. Like, We'll talk about this quickly in a minute, but I want to talk about the Duo 2 first, because yeah, okay. last year's Duo was a disaster. Yeah. I mean look, I again like you said, we want to give Microsoft credit for being creative and unique and the hardware was great. And the hardware was beautiful, but it didn't deliver in terms of the experience yeah. and didn't it deliver in terms of the specs of that hardware because yeah. it didn't have, you know, 5G, it didn't have NFC, it was missed. It only has a single camera that was really crappy. Yeah, uh, it was like basically your your selfie camera, and it wasn't even that well tuned at that. So they've remedied a lot of this. They've made it a little bigger. Uh, the panels are a little bigger, so now you get a bigger screen. It's almost the same size as an iPod Mini when it's open yep. now. And what's really interesting to me more, I was expecting new, a new camera system, but again, and they did deliver a triple camera system that on paper looks like it has all the right check boxes, except for the two X telephoto, which I wish was three X, but whatever. The thing that's got me more excited is that the inside of the screens are actually curved yeah. into the edges. Right. So it's like, remember the Galaxy Note Edge where only one side yeah. was waterfalling? So that's what they're doing on both internal sides. So that when you close it, you get an edge, the hinge edge becomes a display that you can use for ambient stuff like notifications you know, flash a color for when something comes in. It's very, that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say Microsoft is creative
1: and unique. They're trying to re-addict the BlackBerry faithful.
0: Yeah, but it's so brilliant. I think this works. Like this device does not have an external display like my Z Flip 3 that I showed earlier. So what do you do? And, you know, now you can use it. And it has this really gorgeous, where it looks like OLED, that's 90 Hertz synchronized across both panels. So that's, On technical level, it's super challenging. Snapdragon 888 with 5G. It does have millimeter wave 5G. I did not expect that. Like that's adds a whole new can of worms to the engineering of that device. It's super thin still. It has an amazing hinge. And, you know, so 90 Hertz display, better processor 5G, better cameras, more cameras. And (laughs) I love what they did that did you notice that the pedestal those cameras are mounted on, like the camera pod, is pretty big. It yes. almost doubles the thickness of the... And so now you have the problem is if you fold it backwards on itself, right? They actually angled the camera pod so that when they when it's folded, it's perfectly laid out. Yeah. And there's a little space in between the two sides now that you can slide the new pencil in, the, the flat Microsoft pen, whatever it is. Yeah. And they put haptics in that new pen now, so yes. that supposedly it has a little you know, haptic motor in there, linear motor, so that when you run it across a surface of glass, it gives you that weird you know, graininess of the pencil tip yeah. in your fingertips. I love
1: that. I haven't tried it, but I love that idea.
0: I haven't tried it, but it sounds amazing, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My inner artist is dying.
0: So what is your take on this particular device? Like, What made it for you? What is like question marks?
1: No, I like it, but you know, I, I love wondrous variety. I love experimenting with these things. Like when, when they showed off a triangular phone in the office, I'm like, make that for me. I'm not joking. Just make, you know, give me something fun to try, put your ideas <laughs> out there. And I think like, I don't know how big a market this is. And I don't know how big a market it is for an Android, you know, Microsoft phone, but that never deters them. They have so much money based on Office and Windows that they can afford, you know, what a lot of phone companies can't. They can afford to experiment with this stuff. And, and I really like it. And maybe they discover a bunch of stuff that filters down to Apple, to Samsung, to a bunch of other vendors over time. But I'm glad they didn't give up on it. I'm glad they doubled down and decided to make something out of it because this looks like it fixes so many of their issues.
0: Yeah. And it introduces that new kind of like display edge thing. Yeah. And because of the curved edges inside. And I think like at this point now, I look at this price, $1,500, $100 more than last year. And I'm like, you know what? That is worth it. Like I look at the hardware, like even before experiencing the entire thing. And I'm looking every checkbox I expect you to checkbox for that kind of price is checked. Last year, that was not the case. Last year, we played with a prototype, essentially, that they sold, and this year we're like, okay, this is kind of like you know when we went from Fold to Z Fold two last yeah. year. Like yes. Z Fold two was finally a mature product. Now Z Fold three is way better even altogether because you know multi refresh rate in front and back, and it's got a water resistance and stuff. But this, I think, this is showing that Microsoft. To me, they're really invested in this. And you're right. They have a ton of money, but it's like easy for a company. In the past, I would have seen Microsoft run away from this.
1: Yes, for sure. You
0: know what I'm saying? For sure. So kudos to that. And then the crazy continues with the Surface Laptop Studio. What? (laughs) Like, okay. I kept like going like, wow. Every time I looked more at this. It didn't make me want it. But it makes me like, wow, like, yeah, wow. Like it's it made you m- happy to exist. Exactly. And I'm also curious how it's going to pan out, like what the viewers are going to say about it. Because look, it looks like a laptop for creatives. Yes. Content creators like us. So it has a lot of oomph. It has like, nvidia rtx oomph as well for things like if you want to run adobe premiere or whatever god forbid for those of us (laughs) who are final cut people this is like always a nasty thing but you know davinci resolve is another thing like you have gpu acceleration that's going to make a difference 120 hertz display it's a 14 inch display it's beautiful and it's got you know A big trackpad, a big... It looks a lot like... If you ignore that pedestal underneath it, it looks a lot like a MacBook Pro. Yes. And I'm finally happy, by the way, across the board here to see USB Type-C and Thunderbolt adopted as multiple ports on these devices. You know, Microsoft was very resistant to add even a single USB port last, last revision on their surfaces. And now we have... All the USB-C, no more A, yep. which is, you know, I mean the connector, that also means Thunderbolt, which I think is the way this should have gone. But they kept the headphone jack, they have their proprietary magnetic charging connector there still. I think it looks great at that. And this display, HP's done a similar thing with their leather folio laptops before, yes. where, you know, it can fold and sit halfway between the trackpad and the keyboard halfway on the deck on an airplane that's actually great because ta- you know you can use it yep. with uh, the seat reclined in front of you if you're an economy so that that's very cool very clever and it's got the new pen but it's that pedestal and the fact that the pen is magnetically stored kind of in the edge of that pedestal below that's very unique and different and i'm not yeah. quite sure how i feel about the pedestal
1: like for people who haven't seen it it's like a a big base with a fan set on it and a pencil on the side that lets them intake and outtake all the air for all the for all the comp- the compute power There, it looks
0: like it doubles the thickness of the thing and th- yeah. you know it looks like imagine a very thin macbook pro and then double that height so i think it's not going to yeah. be that thin but it's also not going to be horrible like I think it's still going to, and it's going to look fine on a table because you're not going to, it's like having l- the the rubber feet on the MacBook Air, you know? It does raise it quite
1: a bit, but you don't really know. you know notice. Qualcomm is like, wait, let us in there. Let us in there. We'll get rid of that pedestal for you. <laughs> we swear we can do yeah, it. right.
0: For sure. The thing that I think the only thing that's going to miss out of the box here for me is the fact that the screen cannot be angled at any angle. So you really only have the laptop mode, the halfway mode, like the HP Folios, and then the, you know, the screen is completely flat and you now have a drawing surface in front of you. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. It's expensive, $1,600 and up. I can see, look, I can see a lot of my friends who were Microsoft Surface Book people. Yeah, who used Premiere or DaVinci on those computers back in the day, but have now switched over to Razer or HP or whatever, or Dell because, you know, the Surface Book was getting old in the tooth in terms of spec. Switching to this thing simply because it's a beautiful-looking, powerful Windows 11 capable laptop that is meant for them, and I think that's totally valid. I would say half of my YouTube creator friends are on a PC versus a Mac. So, there's a market for it, you know?
1: Yeah, no, totally. I think that's terrific. So that's my take on Microsoft.
0: I'm hoping to have a guest next week's folks, where we can do a deeper dive. If they come aboard, we're going to have a better discussion, a bigger discussion about Surface next week. So keep that in mind. I want to bring up a couple of news items before we wrap up. They're not very significant. One of them is actually a little old, and I realized I never brought it up, and it's back to the weird and funny world of folding phones. But... um. We got some Pixel 6 Pro leaks, so somebody got their hands on one. and did a video, so there's not much to say here other than it's, you know, obviously not a render. So if you want to see somebody handle a Pixel 6 Pro, go in the show notes and check out the video. Uh, I'll link to it. Um, and then the Nokia G50 is announced. It's a $299 Snapdragon 480 5G phone. It's the cheapest phone for our Nokia that has 5G, it is one of the cheapest 5G phones in the US, and it has a massive 6.8-inch screen at 720p. That's going to be rough. But look, if you're looking for a phone from a, you know, budget manufacturer, Nokia, TCL, OnePlus makes some good phones in that domain of that price point. And Moto, of course, with the G series. So this is more competition in this less than $300 space, which is interesting, and it brings some cool features to the table, 48 megapixel camera. Again, this is budget Android, but I had to mention it because, yeah. you know, Nokia's been a big player in that field, for better or for worse. I'm not always a big fan of their phones. Same with Moto. I think that OnePlus has really done a good job in that price point, a better job, and so is TCL. But I think Nokia and Moto are feeling the heat, and this is the result. We're seeing something you know, that might satisfy some folks' um, excitement. Do you have any thoughts on these budget-ish Android phones and how they've actually evolved into being pretty decent?
1: No, I'm just so glad that they exist. I think we sometimes forget that not everybody can afford even $400. Some can't afford it, some just don't want to pay it. You know, for them, the phone is a utility. It's something that they use I still know people who just like text, they text and they take phone calls. I don't know what kind of monsters they are, but that's all they do with their phones and they don't want to yeah. spend smartphone prices or flagship prices. So I think it's great. I think it's a really important market segment and they keep, they keep again, pushing the value down and providing more and more for less and less.
0: I mean, you know, it's a 5G phone for 299 and you know, yeah. some corners are cut for sure. But, you know, as some carriers in the US, like particularly T-Mobile are really, really cranking the 5G up and delivering on that cranking yeah. of performance, People might want that, so that's exciting to see. The news item that I'd kind of forgotten earlier this month that somehow slipped through the cracks was that TCL announced or rather showed by giving it to a few people, like our good friend Michael Fisher, a canceled phone that was going to be their Z Flip 3 competitor called Chicago, the prototype name. So they, TCL made a flip phone that's essentially a competitor to the Z Flip series from Samsung, but it's a mid-range spec and it was going to undercut Samsung. They were going to try to sell for about $750. And they canceled it because, you know, COVID supply issues. And also by the time the Z Flip came out, it was clear that you know, they're gonna people were gonna spend that two hundred and fifty dollars more, right? At this point. It's not enough of a difference to go from seven fifty to a thousand, especially with subsidies through carriers. And TCLs wasn't gonna get the subsidy through carriers because they don't have those relationships as well yeah. established. So they decide to cancel because I'm bummed that they did because variety is the spice of life. But yes. in one way, it's interesting to see how few companies are making falling phones that are viable other than Samsung. But at the same time, it's interesting to see how quickly TCL was able to, I think in some ways, catch up in, in many ways, catch up with at least the previous flip generation on a mid-range spec sheet at a lower price point than Samsung, right?
1: Yeah. I, you, you start off a young upstart, you want to get all the business, then you become the incumbent. And you sort of, you have larger, it's like the Microsoft problem, right? Suddenly you have Windows XP users to support.
0: 100%. (laughs) So, you know, are you excited about the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro? Are you going to try to get your hands on one once they come to the table?
1: Yeah, I have have real mixed feelings on the Pixel. They're my favorite phones because I love to see what Google's doing every year. But Google just, they... They have so many bosses. You know, they have like the CFO who wants an iPhone. They have, I'm um, blanking on his name now, but he's uh, the guy who, Rick Osterloh, who's like, oh, you made a small battery? Why didn't you tell me? Well, it's like a month before launch, dude. What are we going to do now? You know, like, like, <laughs> and that's a pro- and then you have like the engineers who want to make low cost dev devices and they never seem to c- communicate. Um, and so every year the Pixel seems like a repudiation of the phone that came before. And that makes me feel like, why did I buy it? If you're not like, I would love to see them invest in making the Pixel better and better. like every year by focusing on what the end goal is five years from now, Uh, but they have to dog food. Instead of being reactive. And they have, yeah. This is like, not literal. I changed the names to protect people. But like, my understanding is it's like, Oh, what are we doing? Oh, we got foldable this year. What do you mean foldable? Didn't you talk to anybody? No, we're not allowed talking to them. It's not fair to the OEMs. Would you just go talk to them? No, last time they made fun of our bathtub notch. I'm not gonna go back to, near, I'm not gonna go near those people. But like, that's how frustrating it is for them to try to get a cohesive product vision out. So I love the Pixel 6, I'm gonna get it cause I get the Pixel almost every year. I just really wanna see them put the full weight in mind for like, what's the Pixel 10? And then spend every year working towards that iteratively for the next four years.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's Google. I think maybe they'll change their tune this year because they've been beaten down so hard the last two years. And maybe there's some strategy starting to develop. They're starting to kind of get it. But I had really big hopes. And I think this 6, particularly the 6 Pro, are going to be phenomenal phones for those of us who know and want. And I think we we will get what we want. This is it. I think Google's going to try to market them more, but I'm not sure they're going to be successful phones. The big question mark, as you said, is what happens in 2022? Yeah. Like... Are they gonna continue pushing like like Microsoft just did, like you know hunkering down and going pixel seven and seven pro are gonna be an evolution of the awesomeness we did last year, and we're gonna continue iterate, and we're starting to look at the longer term or are they gonna just react again and we're gonna get something that's gonna make us rip our hairs out because yes. I haven't driven a new pixel as my main phone since uh the pixel four series because none of their phones have really they've done it for me there have been some great phones in there the a series phones have been phenomenal yeah, those are but terrific. i need wireless charging and so i can't live with them and so the six pro yeah, the, thing, the
1: thing that hurt me and maybe hurt you personally was like every year it's the we don't need syndrome we don't need a camera bump next year oh it turns out we do we don't need an extra <laughs> camera next year you have an extra camera we like everything that, every time they would say we don't need something anybody who knew this stuff said yes you do and the next year they go yeah it turns out we do like just we we know you do just do it <laughs>
0: It's so it's so funny to me. Like I it's actually really frustrating because like I just reviewed the Pixel 5A not too long ago and it's you know how the my iPhone SE is such a delightfully, amazingly yes. wonderful phone when you start using it. But if you look at it on paper, you're like, you're like meh. Yes. It's like essentially an iPhone 8 on steroids mm-hmm. and but it's got you know that older display that you know the home button for some people they love it i get it. like theo my spouse yes. has an iphone se because they don't want them they don't want the face id they want the home button yes. they want the fingerprint sensor
1: take that home button out of their cold dead hands and my
0: point is that you and i look at these phones and go like yeah it's a very good phone but it doesn't look very exciting and then when you actually use it you go yeah. like oh I get it now. The Pixel 5a is the poster child of that. It's boring looking. The specs don't look very exciting. And then you actually turn it on and use it. And I, as I said, in, I think last show with Shannon, there are two phones who have totally blown my mind this year in terms of my user experience and made me delighted like to the nines. And that's the Pixel 5a and the Z Flip 3. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that even those of us who have been testing and reviewing phones since like 2005 are like not able to, you know, spot that in advance.
1: Like we, it's holistic though, right? It's like the experience. It's not the the sum of the specs. It's got to deliver something to you. It's got to speak to you. Yeah, but it's like,
0: I have a Pixel 4a 5G from last year, and it's a great phone. And so I looked at the 5a, I'm like, okay, it's a water-resistant version of the 4a. Yeah. Yet, I cannot explain to you why there is... It, they made it a little, a little narrower. They made it a little taller. So instantly it fit better in hand. It's just tiny little things that you don't yeah. even think about. And then you start using it and you're like, oh, oh, wow, I get it. And it's just great. And you look at the price point, $50 less than last year. And you're like, okay, there's
1: there's no It's brainer. like a car. Like, Why does this year drive better than last year? It's because they fixed a bunch of little things that made it drive I better.
0: I know. And it's amazing because, you know, like I recommend the iPhone SE to tons of people that are iPhone users or that are just want a new phone. And, you know, I think the iPhones are always a sure a sure value, yeah. a sure bet. And then I and now recommend the 5A to so many people because I'm like, look, it's not available in Canada, sadly. It's only like Japan and the US, I believe. So it's yeah. like very limited. But here we can get it. And if you're going to spend $450 on a phone and you need an Android phone and you don't want to do an iPhone, like 100% get a 5A, call it a day. That thing's going to get updates forever. It's just going to be solid all around. And, you know, it's it's nice to see Google getting it right sometimes. Like clearly, they might not have a long-term strategy on the 5A, on the A series, but it's coming out every year to be better than the previous year. And it feels consistent to me. Whereas the main line, the the flagships are just all over the place. Yes.
1: They make you feel like a jerk for buying the one during the previous year. Just like, come on. (laughs) I like that phone.
0: That bathtub notch. That's when it started. I felt like from Pixel to Pixel 2, there was, you know, you could see some thoughts. And then Pixel 3, a little bit, except the the, the, the attention to detail wasn't quite there. Things like the bathtub notch should never, ever have made muster. And then the four just went like, oh, where are the, where? Where do you live, Google? Like, you're in your own little vacuum-sealed universe right now, are you? And then the five, I was just like, oh, you're reacting. You're totally reacting. Yeah. We can't make flagships. Nobody's buying them. We're going to make a mid-range phone. Charge a little more for it. Put millimeter wave in it. Because it's really a 4A, just slightly better, right? Yeah. With wireless charging and water resistance and stuff. And eh. It's a good phone, 100%, but it's not the phone you, me, Michael Fisher, everybody else wants.
1: We don't need Google to make that phone. Pixel should always be a phone that only Google can make.
0: 100%. So can I tell you a little secret? I have an iPhone 11, of course, and I'm going to upgrade. I'm going to try to figure out which one I want next. But do you know that on my night table, the phone that wakes me up every day is an iPhone 6 Plus?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. It's your alarm phone. I know. It's all (laughs) it
0: does. I just like the sound of it. Uh, more importantly, I have it. It works. The battery's yes. still good. It's got iOS 13 is the last thing it received, or 12 or whatever it was. Yeah. And I don't do anything else with it. Like I have I have some of my home automation apps on it so I can okay. turn on and off lights and stuff. And you know, it sits there in battery saving mode with the Wi Fi turned <laughs> on. And because it doesn't need to do anything compute intensive, and so as a result, the thing lasts a freaking week on my night yep. table. Yeah. Okay. Folks, this phone is what, seven years old? Six? I don't know, right? The battery is still holding up. Like, I cannot believe it. It's unreal. But I charge it once a week and I use it as my alarm clock. I thought of all people, you would appreciate that.
1: The last two years on lockdown, like when I got the new iPad and I wanted to do the 5G test for it, I went to get my SIM card and it wasn't in the last iPad because that came out last March when lockdown started. And I hadn't used cellular in almost a year because I just hadn't gone anywhere. Oh my
0: God. So where did you find it?
1: I found it in the previous version of the iPad, like the the, 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 (laughs) the 2018 version. That's hilarious.
0: Yeah, I figured of all people, you'd appreciate the fact that I still have an iPhone 6 Plus on my night table. Totally. I mean, it works, it's a little sluggish, but only if I try to do some serious stuff like check Facebook or something.
1: I know a bunch of people who have old iPhones or old iPod Touches next to their sofas to use as controllers because they used to prefer the the touch, the controller app than the actual remote control.
0: Yeah, honestly, it's in mint condition. So that's the other thing. It just looks like a, you know, it looks like it could be an iPhone 8 Plus or something. You know, from the front, you wouldn't really know the difference. But anyway, Renee, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, all your sites and social media handles and goodness?
1: Sure. So I'm either very consistent or very boring, depending on how you want to parse it. It's youtube.com slash Ritchie, twitter.com slash Richie, or instagram.com slash Richie. And I have reneeritchie.net if you're old school webby.
0: <laughs> Perfect. You folks should definitely... Check out Renee's work on YouTube and follow him on Twitter and all that good stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tank Girl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. Like the comic book character Tank Girl, but just drop all the vowels. That's my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle. If you want to discuss this show with me and Renee, hit us up on Twitter. And then, of course, Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures of phones, Pretty pictures taken with phones. I'm also now doing car reviews for Tech Radar. So there's some car stuff in there too. So check that out. And then, you know, the podcast has a couple of YouTube channels associated with it. If you want some visual content to go alongside your uh, audio podcast, check that out youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast is the main channel and youtube.com slash mobile more is a newer channel that uh, my producer and I are trying to develop it's going to be like all the accessory stuff you know the travel tech the smart home tech battery packs all that stuff i'm basically lumping phones and audio in the main channel because those are the interests for me so we're developing it we need subscribers please consider subscribing to both channels but in particularly the new one again youtube.com mobile tech podcast and youtube.com mobile tech more like subscribe tell your friends all that good stuff the podcast, as you know, lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. So if you happen to follow Renee here today and you want to subscribe, I'd really appreciate it. Consider that. Also consider rating or reviewing the show if your app permits you because it helps with discovery. So now I want to talk about Patreon because... Those of you who know have been watching this podcast instead of listening to it because you're patrons. One of the tiers I have is a video version unedited of the podcast before the audio one is released, usually a day or two before. And it's unedited in so far that, you know, I might remove things that are under embargo, but I don't really remove like the ums and the os and the, you know, whatever else it might be. So if you want a kind of a bit more of a raw experience, consider joining Patreon. There's also a Discord there and a bunch of other stuff. So check it out, patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash TNKGRL. I'd love you to join. And I want to thank Melanie Z who joined this week. Thanks for joining and supporting the show. And also, folks, if you don't want to do Patreon, I get it. There is a PayPal link in the show notes. You can click on that and donate that way and help us out. So that'd be great finally i want to thank audible our sponsor they've been with us for a really long time and they're really awesome if you're like me a bookworm and you really like to read we have a special deal for you 30-day free trial you get to keep a book no matter what you do it's audibletrial.com mobile tech that's url audibletrial.com mobile tech so you're probably wondering why audible well look You like to read, but maybe you don't have time to read. Or maybe you want to put yourself to sleep by listening to a book. Or you're on an airplane, it's hard to read. Or you're delivery driver, delivering packages all day long and you want to keep your eyes on the road, or you're on a road trip with your friends, and you want to share a story together, well, Audible's got you covered. Tons of books to choose from, some shorter-term content as well, some podcasts, lots of books read by the authors. It's fantastic. If you like books, you ought to give yourself an Audible account. So check it out, audibletrial.com mobiletech is the URL. Yeah, help Audible, help us, and uh, join the party. I want to thank Audible for being our longtime sponsor. And I want to thank you, Renee, for being yet again on the show.
1: Anytime. Thank you so much. It's always so much fun to be here.
0: We'll definitely have you on at some point in the future again. And folks, as always, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody.
1: This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast
0: with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com.
1: You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.